I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich man Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that pays tribute to people of the past by sharing their stories today. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're celebrating the life of Bessie Coleman a gutsy black pilot who overcame gender bias and racism to make history both on the ground and in the air. The day was January 26, 1892. Pioneering aviator Elizabeth Bessie Coleman was born in Atlanta, Texas. She pursued her dream of becoming a pilot during an era of severe racial prejudice and Jim Crow laws, and when her own country stood in the way of her dream, she went to France and learned to fly there. Her determination paid off in 1921 when she made history as the first African-American woman and the first woman of Native American descent to become a licensed pilot. Bessie Coleman was born in a small North Texas town at the turn of the 20th century, roughly a decade before airplanes were even invented. She was the tenth of 13 children born to a couple named George and Susan Coleman. Her mother was an African-American maid, and her father was a sharecropper of African-American and Cherokee ancestry. They moved to Waxahachie, Texas when Bessie was two, but after about seven years there, her father was ready to move again. He was fed up with the indignities of segregation and believed the family would face less abuse living among the Cherokee in Oklahoma, where Jim Crow laws had yet to be enacted. Bessie's mother, however, was unconvinced by the plan and decided that she and the children would stick it out in Waxahachie. For the rest of her teenage years, Bessie Coleman picked cotton alongside her mother and washed laundry to earn extra money for herself. 
By the time she was 18, she'd saved enough to begin taking classes at the Colored Agricultural and Normal University in Langston, Oklahoma. But the money didn't go as far as she had hoped, and she wound up having to drop out after just one semester. In 1915, Coleman joined the Great Migration and headed north with millions of other African Americans. She settled in Chicago, where her older brothers lived, and was followed soon after by her mother and the rest of the family. She got a job as a manicurist at the age of 23, and while it was a welcome change from her hard-scrabble upbringing in the oppressive South, she still longed for more. I want to find a bigger life, she said. I want to amount to something. Coleman spent the next five years trying to figure out what that something might be, and in 1920, she finally got her answer. Strangely enough, it came in the form of a taunt from her brother John. He had served in the military during World War I, and after returning home, he told his sister stories about the women pilots he'd encountered in France. Sometimes, he even teased her about it, pointing out that here she was trying to elevate herself and getting nowhere, while over in France, women were literally soaring to new heights. Coleman took the insult as a challenge and replied, That's it, you just called it for me. With her new goal in sight, she took a second job to raise money for tuition and sent out applications to flight schools across the country. She was rejected each and every time because she was both African-American and a woman. But Coleman was relentless as she famously declared, quote, Every no takes me closer to a yes. In pursuit of that elusive yes, Coleman sought advice from Robert S. Abbott, an influential newspaper publisher in Chicago and one of the first self-made black millionaires in the country. Abbott could tell she was serious about becoming a pilot, and he also knew her story would sell lots of papers if she succeeded. With that in mind, he recommended that she seek training in France, where black people were afforded more opportunity than in the U.S., and promised to report on her progress in his newspaper. Because her applications would need to be written in French, Coleman started taking French classes in the evenings. Once she had a decent grasp of the language, she applied to several well-respected flight schools and was ultimately accepted by the Caudron Brothers School of Aviation. She traveled to France in late November of 1920 and began learning to fly the Newport 82, a dual-controlled training plane developed during World War I. After seven months in the cockpit, Bessie Coleman earned her pilot's license on June 15, 1921, becoming the first African-American woman to do so. She hoped to make a living off her new skill by performing as a barnstormer, an exhibition flyer who performed aerial stunts at air shows. However, she quickly realized she'd need more training for that, so she logged another two months' worth of lessons in France and then spent ten weeks in Berlin flying under the instruction of German ace pilots. In the spring of 1922, Coleman made her triumphant return to the U.S., where her achievement was hailed by black and white newspapers. Her first public air show was held on September 3rd of that year in Garden City, Long Island. According to one Kansas reporter, as many as 3,000 people turned out for the event, watching in awe as Coleman flew thousands of feet above the ground pulling off barrel rolls, loops, and spins as if she'd been flying all her life. Over the next five years, the intrepid pilot would perform at countless air shows throughout the country, 
earning nicknames such as Queen Bess and Brave Bessie. One of her most daring acts involved another pilot taking the controls while she walked across the wings of the plane and then parachuted safely to the ground. The stunts didn't always go as planned, though, and on one occasion, Coleman broke a leg and three ribs when her plane stalled and crashed. The accident left her grounded for a few months, but it didn't put her off flying, and she soon returned to barnstorming as fearless as ever. As her celebrity status grew, Coleman also began using her fame to advocate for inclusivity in American society. She refused to perform in exhibitions that required black people to use a separate entrance and to sit apart from the rest of the crowd, and she frequently gave speeches at churches, theaters, and schools in which she encouraged other African Americans to take up flying. The air is the only place free from prejudice, she once told a reporter, and you've never lived until you've flown. Coleman's dream was to raise enough money to open her own flight school so that more women like her could experience the same freedom she felt in the air. Blacks should not have to experience the difficulties I have faced, she said. So I decided to open a flying school and teach other black women to fly. For accidents may happen, and this way, there would be someone to take my place. Coleman's statement would prove tragically prescient in the days ahead. On April 30, 1926, she took flight over Jacksonville, Florida in a Curtis JN-4, a plane she had recently purchased after years of saving. She had asked her mechanic, William Wills, to pilot the plane that day so that she could scope out the terrain below in preparation for a parachute jump scheduled for the following day. Roughly ten minutes into the flight, an unsecured wrench somehow got lodged in the control gears, causing the plane to lurch into an uncontrollable dive. Coleman, who was not wearing her seatbelt, was thrown from the plane several thousand feet in the air, and when it crashed and exploded, William Wills died as well. A funeral service was held for Coleman in Florida before her remains were returned to Chicago, where 10,000 mourners came to pay their last respects. The ceremony was attended by several prominent black figures, including Ida B. Wells, a renowned journalist and activist who had led an anti-lynching crusade in the 1890s. In the years ahead, Coleman's adopted town of Chicago would continue to honor her memory. In 1931, the Challenger Air Pilots Association began flying over her grave each year to drop flowers. And around the same time, a black engineer and pilot named William J. Powell established the Bessie Coleman Aero Club. Its purpose was to fulfill Coleman's dream of bringing aviation opportunities to the black community, and it welcomed both men and women alike. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to pass them along by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again soon for another day in history class. I used to have so many men. 
How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich men Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.